On this episode, being patient and trusting the living God that sees and hears. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Live Through Jesus with Courtney Gilmore. I'll be reading all the scripture references for you, so you're free to just sit back, listen, and absorb, or you can grab your Bible and read along. Most of the time, I'll be reading from the New King James Version, but if I switch, I'll let you know. At the beginning of each episode, I'll introduce the titles, so if you want the entire study in writing, you can go to livethroughjesus.com and buy it for under $5. Each one will cover two to three months' worth of episodes, and once you buy, then it'll be immediately available for download. In addition to a little extra studying, it also allows you the benefit of some charts and keyword definitions, but it isn't necessary. Okay, so let's get started. This is episode 15, and today we'll be going over lesson 6 of the Abraham study. Last episode, we read in Genesis 15, and we talked about the promise that God gave to Abraham that he would have a son of his very own and that his descendants would inherit the land. We also talked about the eternal promise of a heavenly inheritance that God gives to us, And so if you happen to miss that episode, you might want to go back and listen. It's so encouraging to hear what God has in store for us. Today we're moving on to Genesis 16, and we'll see what it is that Abram and Sarah do with this information that God has given to them. So let's go ahead and get started in verse 1. Now Sarah, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, and she had an Egyptian maidservant whose name was Hagar. So Sarah said to Abram, See now, the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I shall obtain children by her. And Abram heeded the voice of Sarah. Then Sarah, Abram's wife, took Hagar her maid, the Egyptian, and gave her to her husband Abram to be his wife. After Abram had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan. So he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived... Her mistress became despised in her eyes. Okay, so first of all, I just want you to notice that it says it's been 10 years since God called him. And God told him at that time that his descendants would be as many as the dust of the earth. And then last chapter, God told him that he would have a son of his very own. When Abram left the land of Ur, it says he was 75 years old. So now we know that Abram is 85 and Sarah is 75. And even though God promised him in the last chapter a son of his very own, we're not sure how long ago God gave him that promise. Just because it was last chapter doesn't mean it was days ago. Very likely it was years that God told him this. And so, again, Abram and Sarah are very confused because God keeps saying he's going to have a son, but it never seems to happen. And so, Sarah reasons this out and decides that it must be that God wants this son to be Abram's, but maybe not hers. And so, she comes up with this plan. Now, I want to just focus on one thing that's a little bit off topic before we move on. Notice how Sarah says, the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. You will see this over and over again in the Bible, 
how they say God kept me from having children or God gave me this child. This is not just a figure of speech. They are aware that God is the one that is in charge of conception. For some reason, we think that this has something to do with us, but it really doesn't because not every sexual act produces a child, right? That's the only thing that we can really control. But once we do that, then God is the one who decides who gets pregnant and when they do. He's the one that conceives that child. This is something to think about with the abortion debate nowadays and things like that. People like to give us all of these different scenarios. Well, what if this? What if this? The thing is, is that God is the one that is in control of the conception of that child. And so if he decided that that child needed to be born to that mother, then who are we to say that it doesn't need to be? That mother may have taken part in that decision, but she didn't make it because she just as easily could have not gotten pregnant. God is the one that made that decision, and we should not be able to take that away. A child is of the Lord every single time. And likewise, no child is of the Lord every single time. God is in charge of conception, not us. You'll see this over and over and over in Genesis. So just keep that in mind as you read that these are not figures of speech. These people completely understood that God was in control of this. Okay, so now that I've just pointed that little part out, let's go ahead and move on in this story. So notice the plan that Sarah comes up with. (laughs) This proposition does not sound good or right to us, right? We would not be okay with such a thing today. Thankfully, because of technology and advances that we have now, if a woman is not able to have a child today, she has other options. But this was not a possibility back then. And so in their culture, this type of thing was very common. This was how she got to adopt a child. And because this servant belongs to Sarah then everything that she has also belongs to Sarah. So if this woman has a child, then it belongs to Sarah. And this woman's entire job was to serve and help her mistress. And this is what Sarah needs from her. Even though it's difficult for us to understand these days, this was a very common practice. And so since this is something that people did, and Sarah does not seem to be able to have a child, And God did tell Abram that he would have a son that was his very own. Abram agrees to this. But notice what happens as soon as Hagar conceives. It says in verse 4 that Sarah became despised in her eyes. Hagar quickly resents Sarah. She's not happy with this arrangement. Just as Sarah had previously listened to Abram in Egypt and they got into a difficult situation, now Abram is the one listening to Sarah and they're in an equally difficult situation. Actually, probably more difficult. Sometimes our plans just have unintended consequences. Things that if we would think a little bit beyond our immediate concern, we might be able to see. But at the moment, there just doesn't seem to be another way. And that's what happened to them here. Often when things are hard, we just let our emotions get the best of us and we think that we have good ideas and it just makes it hard for us to obey and trust God or maybe even look to Him at all because we're just letting our emotions cloud our judgment. That's when we need another person to help us, right? That's when it would have been good if Abram would have been able to just say, I know you're scared and I know you're tired of waiting and I know this does not make sense. But we just have to obey and we have to wait. 
we have to let this play out and trust that God has good intentions for us, you know, that he has a plan. He continues to tell us that this is going to happen and we just need to wait. You know, this may not be the best plan. There may be things that we don't see. So let's talk to God about this. You know, what if he would have done that? Wouldn't that have been better? But each time they aren't that support for each other, that voice of reason for the other person, and then their decisions get them into difficult situations. This is why God gave us each other, right? Because he knows that by ourselves, we don't do a great job sometimes, that we need someone to help us. God literally said in the Garden of Eden, it's not good for man to be alone. I should make him a helper. He knows that we need this, both of us. Listen to Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, one will help up his companion. But woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him. Again, if two lie down together, they'll keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him. And a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Galatians 6, 1 and 2. Brothers, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. God wants us to bear each other's burdens. He wants us to help each other. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. We're supposed to help each other, exhort each other, lift each other up. How much different things might could have been if Abram would have just been the voice of reason here. But he wasn't. And now they're in a situation where Sarah's maidservant is pregnant and she is angry with Sarah. So let's keep reading in verse 5. Then Sarah said to Abram, My wrong be on you. I gave my maid into your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, I became despised in her eyes. The Lord judge between you and me. Wait, what? Why? Why is she all of a sudden blaming Abram for this? Let my wrong be on you, she says. Why is her wrong on him? I don't understand. She can't take responsibility. She's like, you shouldn't have listened to me. Now do something about this. (laughs) Poor guy. And then listen to him. Verse 6. So Abram said to Sarah, Indeed, your maid is in your hands. Do to her as you please. He's like, nah, not me. I'm not taking care of this. You do it. She's your maidservant. Neither one of them wants to take responsibility, right? And both of them did make this decision. Here's the deal. Sometimes we're going to make bad decisions, but we have to be able to acknowledge them and be proactive in repairing the situation that we've created. Look what ends up happening at the end of verse 6, what Sarah does. So it says, And when Sarah dealt harshly with Hagar, then Hagar ran from her. So she just made the situation worse, right? Now Abram again has no son. When we make a bad decision, we need to quickly repair it as opposed to just making matters worse. We need to remember this whenever we realize that we've made a bad decision. Fix it quickly. Now, let's just talk for just a minute about the fact that Sarah just took this whole thing into her own hands, right? She decided God was taking too long. It was never going to work if she didn't just do something different. 
It's easy to get impatient, right? And think that God must not be working on this. You know, we can't see what he's doing. And often he does not give us his plans in complete detail. And so this is an easy thing to do. And here's the thing. We know that God can miraculously, unilaterally do anything that he chooses to do, right? But we also know that he uses people in human ways to accomplish his purposes sometimes. So discerning when God wants us to just be still and wait and when God wants us to act in faith is one of the most difficult things in the Christian walk. If you're truly seeking what God wants you to do, oftentimes it's hard to know. Listen to Psalm 46.10. It says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. This verse is often quoted whenever it just is trying to tell us, Be still. Let me take care of this. What about Isaiah 40.31? Those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint those that wait on him, right? So how do we know? How do we know if God's wanting us to just be still and wait? Or listen to this verse. This is an Esther. Esther's uncle has just found out that there's a plan to kill all the Jews. And so he tells of this plan to a messenger that's supposed to take his words back to Esther and gives him a copy of the decree that says that they're all going to be killed. And he says, tell Esther that she needs to go to the king and she needs to plead for her people. And listen to what Esther says. This is Esther 4.10. And Esther spoke to Hathok, which is the messenger, and gave him a command to tell Mordecai, her uncle. All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that any man or woman who goes into the inner court to the king who hasn't been called, he has but one law, put all to death, except the one that the king holds out the golden scepter to that he may live. Yet I myself haven't been called to go to the king these 30 days. So she says to him, I can't just go to the king and talk to him about this because everyone knows that you can't go to the king without being requested And the only way that you don't die is if he has mercy on you and extends his scepter and says, don't kill them. She says, he hasn't called me in 30 days. This is what Mordecai says to Esther. This is the important part, beginning in verse 13. And Mordecai told them to answer Esther, do not think in your heart that you will escape in the king's palace any more than any of the other Jews. For if you remain completely silent at this time, Relief and deliverance will raise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house, they will perish. Yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this? Who knows if that's not why you're queen at this exact time, but to do this. And if you keep silent, you will certainly die along with your family and God will raise someone else up. So how do we know? How do we know if God is saying, be still and wait? Or if he's saying, if you keep silent, I'll find somebody else, but it is not going to be good for you. This is your purpose. This is what I created you here at this moment for. How do we know? It's easy to criticize Sarah and say, hey, you know, you should have waited on God. He had a plan. But how does she know? How does she know that God isn't saying act? We know that God doesn't tell Sarah to do this, right? This is of her own idea. When it's our own idea, that's when we know. If it's God telling us, 
then yeah, we need to act in faith. But if we're just reasoning this out in our own minds, trying to figure out a way to make all these things work, God doesn't need us for that. God already has a way for it to work. In order to know what God is telling us to do, we need to be close to Him. We need to search the scriptures. We need to seek godly counsel. We need to pray. We need to listen. We need to pay attention to what He's telling us. The Bible can give us a lot of answers. Listen to Hebrews 4.12. The Word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The Word can tell us it's of our own thought or whether it's of God. Listen also to Proverbs 15.22. Without counsel, plans go awry. But in the multitude of counselors, they are established. So seek out godly counsel. Pray. Listen to what God is telling you. And then talk to other godly people and see if they're saying the same things. If they are really telling you what they believe God is saying in this situation. Those are two very good ways. We'll talk even further whenever we get into Jacob about other ways to listen to God and know his will. But just know that the short answer of that is be close to him and listen to him. And if he's giving that command, then yes, act in faith. And if he's not, if he is not answering you, if he is not telling you to do anything, if he does not say move, don't move. Wait on him. Let him give you direction. He is our God. Okay, so let's see what happens after Hagar runs away. Verse 7. Now the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, Sarah's maid, where have you come from and where are you going? And she said, I'm fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarah. And the angel of the Lord said, return to your mistress, submit to her hand. Then the angel of the Lord said to her, I will multiply your descendants exceedingly so that they shall not be counted for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said, Behold, you are with child and you shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael because the Lord has heard your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man. His hand shall be against everyone and every man's hand will be against him and he will dwell in the presence of all his brothers. Then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You are the God that sees. For she says, Have I also here seen him that sees me? Therefore, the well there was called Be'er Laharoi. It is between Kadesh and Bered. So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram named his son, whom Hagar bore him, Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to him. So now there's a few parallels between Sarah and Hagar because she says he's the God that sees. And that's what we said about Sarah before, right? Whenever she was in Pharaoh's house, we said God saw her there. He knew what was going on and he rescued her out. Well, same thing with Hagar here. God sees her as she's running back to Egypt and he guides her back to the place that he chooses for her to be. And just as Sarah submitted to the leading of her husband in that situation in Egypt, God is now asking Hagar to submit to her mistress. Submission is a hard thing, especially when you feel like the person in authority over you is doing something wrong or even something wrong towards you. But when we submit to them, we're not placing our trust in them. We're placing our trust in God. 
because God tells us to submit to the authorities above us. And so when we do that, we're obeying God and we're trusting that He is going to take care of the authorities and deal with them Himself. And so God says, you go back there. I'm going to take care of your son. I'm going to raise him up to be a great nation, but you're supposed to go back. Later on, we'll see the fulfillment of this in Ishmael. God does keep his promise to her. And so Hagar believed God and she returned and she calls him the God that sees because she knows that he saw her and what she was going through and he cared. And then God says, name your son Ishmael. And Ishmael means he hears. So God says, yes, I see and I hear. I know what's going on. I've got you. And then when she names this place, the Be'er Laharoi, this place's name means the living one. So she calls God the God that sees. And then he says, yes, and I hear too. And then she says, you are the living God. She knows that only a living God can see and hear everything that's going on. This is not the God that others worship. Now, some say that because she says, I have now seen the one that sees me, that this angel is really Jesus incarnate. And so she is physically seeing God whenever she sees this angel. And then others just think that the angel is a messenger of God and that she's saying that she sees God through him because God sent him. Either way, God saw and heard her and he reached out to her and comforted her and guided her. And she responded by believing and obeying him and praising him with these names. And she also must have told Abram about this encounter because it says whenever the son was born, Abram named his son Ishmael. So Abram honored what God told Hagar, and he named this child Ishmael. I want to read you a couple more verses that confirm that God sees and hears the things that are going on here on this earth with his people. Psalm 33, 13 through 15 says, The Lord looks from heaven. He sees all the sons of men. From the place of his dwelling, he looks on all the inhabitants of the earth. He fashions their hearts individually and considers all their works. Hebrews 4, 13 says, There is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Nothing is hidden from him. And then listen to Psalm 18, 6. In my distress, I called upon the Lord and cried out to my God. He heard my voice from his temple, and my cry came before him even to his ears. So these are just a few places in the Bible. It talks about it all over the Bible, how God sees and hears us. But these are just a couple of places that confirm that Hagar's not wrong. God sees and hears us, all the people of the earth, from heaven. So remind yourself of these verses in this passage whenever you're tempted to think that maybe God doesn't see or hear what's going on with you. He knows your situation and He cares, just like He did with them. Just keep praying and keep trusting Him. Keep looking to Him. Keep listening to Him. Keep waiting on Him until He tells you to move. Get close to Him so that you know whenever He's talking to you. When he's saying, be still, or when he's saying, step out in faith, do this. God wants a relationship with us. He wants to be able to talk with us and guide us and comfort us. 
He really is very involved in our lives if we will just pay attention. He sees things, he hears things, and he interacts and works even when we don't see it. Much of the time when we don't see it. And so we just have to trust that he knows and cares. So that's all we're going to do today. We'll start chapter 17 next episode. Feel free to email me or leave comments wherever you're listening. My email address is Courtney at LiveThroughJesus.com. Next week, we'll see God's response to Abram and Sarai's solution for his son. So make sure that you subscribe so that you don't miss that episode. Remember that God sees and hears, that He cares and He loves His people. Leave a review that always helps. Thanks and have a good day.